1939, in a small recording studio in Johannesburg, South Africa, a man named Solomon Linda created the most famous melody that has ever come out of Africa, and, arguably, one of the most famous melodies in the world. It has been featured in nearly 200 recordings, dozens of commercials and movies, and has made many people and many corporations extremely rich. You have never heard of Solomon Linda. He died of kidney failure in abject poverty, and a gravestone wasn't put on his grave until 18 years after he was buried. This is not the story of that man, nor is this the story of that melody. That was last week. This is an episode about video game music. This is Ear Buddies. Just a little joke, just a little joke to start things off with some levity, trying to have fun here on Ear Buddies. It's just me, it's your pal Tim. Boy, am I sorry I missed you last week, but uh, you were in really good hands. Wasn't that a stellar episode by Matt? And it may sound like I'm joking, but I actually thought that was probably one of the best episodes of Ear Buddies yet, um, even though it was just one of us. And that is the case again this week. Just me, uh, Matt. Well, I don't have to tell you what Matt's doing. Uh, he is his own person. He is free to do what he wants. He has autonomy. And I certainly, as one of his buddies, am not going to be the guy to tell him what or what not to do. So uh, he is doing his own thing. He's following his bliss this week. So you got me. And as a result, uh, we're going to continue this sort of prestige podcast vibe where I just sort of read you a book report in a way and tell you some interesting things about stuff I know. Because that is my right as a white male podcaster. So, without further ado, let's get into it. We're talking video game music. What I want to talk about is... What is video game music? And and why is it interesting to me? I hope that by explaining the answers to those two questions, uh, you will both know what video game music is and hopefully find it interesting yourself. I don't want to call it a genre because really it's its its, its own uh, vehicle for a whole swath of different types of tunes. It encompasses lots of genres, really. Um, But what we can point to are some shared traits 
that almost all video game music uh, has in common. We could do this for a long time, and I could definitely go through more than three, but today I just want to talk about three of what I consider sort of the, the biggest and most important traits of video game music, what makes it distinct from other types of music, and why, frankly, uh, it is rich and interesting and, heck, darn fun to listen to. So the first trait that I want to highlight for you is this. Video game music, by its very nature, is resourceful. What do I mean by that? I hear you asking. And so I explain. Music, pretty much all music we listen to, unless you are listening to a solo singer, like maybe doing some sort of chant, just all by him or herself, the music you listen to is called is polyphonic. What that means is you're hearing multiple sounds at once. A chord typically has at least three notes in it. So uh, those three notes sound at the same time and bada bing, baby, you've got yourself some polyphonic music. Video games, you know, start cropping up in the 70s. I mean, there are some really early examples of kind of the, the fundamentals of video games in the 50s and 60s, but really the video games that we think about when we say video games first start to show up uh, in commercial settings in the 1970s. And if you think back to that time, uh, and even the 80s and the 90s, really, computer space was at a premium. Um, think about like floppy disks, right? Those hold kilobytes of information, whereas now you can get uh, terabytes, uh, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of times more information than you could fit on a floppy disk for, you know, just like 20 bucks or whatever. So as time has gone on and technology has improved, computer space has become less precious. But at the time that video games are uh, being developed, it's very precious. And every little byte, every little graphic and pixel on the screen is taking up some of that precious hard drive space. And so there's not a lot of room for music. And so, as a result, composers had to be very creative and minimal and resourceful by necessity. They just simply could not afford to write full symphonic works with, you know, 25 different instruments all playing simultaneously. you have uh, a very small number of possible notes to be able to be sounded at one time. In these early, like, old Nintendo games, we're talking you can afford to play maybe four sounds simultaneously. So that's tricky. Video game music was spare, especially in the early days. But it was still complex, and that is what's so interesting to me. I'm going to play you a track from 
1989 on the Game Boy. This is from the game Tetris. So if you pay really close attention to this, there's your melodic line. There's a little bass. Playing. You hear some sort of for drums. And maybe occasionally you have a, a harmony up top there with the melody. So that's four voices. And it never gets more complex than that. And yet, this is a really interesting piece of music. In fact, uh, the composer of this uh, Tetris theme, Hirokazu Tanaka is his name, based it on an old Russian song, an old Russian folk song called Korobaniki. I had no idea if I'm saying that right, but, but check this out. Just in this little example, so many, 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 many notes are being played all at once. But that composer, Tanaka, was able to translate basically this complex Russian folk melody and this, this folk song into just four little voices uh, that sound really tinny. It's called chip tunes because it's literally computer chips. Uh, that are making these sounds, these little waveforms, um, and turned it into a video game theme. Pretty fascinating. So again, that's 1989. What's uh, kind of interesting too is the act of composing this music for a video game, especially back then, was not so simple as like sitting at a, at a piano or, or even a, a, an electronic keyboard and inputting it into a computer. It you had to actually know how to code to, you know, to, to tell these computers and these video game consoles to play to use their computer chips in the right ways at the right time to play the music you wanted it to. So instead of single composers, in many cases in the 70s and 80s, video game music was composed by huge teams of nerds, of, of tech guys, tech people, uh, plugging away on their little keyboards with ones and zeros, turning it into music. That's crazy. But as time goes by, of course, it gets a little easier, right? So we jump ahead to the 1990s and you get music from, uh, uh, for like the Super Nintendo. And now these machines are a little more powerful. They're able to mimic 
the sounds of real instruments and, and use many more synthesized sounds at once. And so composers got to be a little bit more uh, freewheeling. They got to have a little bit more freedom as they're writing this music. So take, for instance, Donkey Kong Country. The music by David Wise is beautiful. Even today, it's really interesting. Like, listen to this. So here we're getting a bunch of notes all at once. That's something you just couldn't have done even five years prior to, to this. Echoing effects and, and instruments fading up and down in volume. These are, these are techniques that obviously <laughs> uh, real music composers get to uh, employ all the time but in video games you know their their hands were tied for a long time and those those hand ties slowly start coming off and one more guy i want to point to as we're talking about resourcefulness here is nobuo umatsu who is the japanese composer who wrote most of the music for the final fantasy game series there are still final fantasy games coming out to this day, but the first one came out in 1987, and he composed this. So this is the music that would play when you got into a battle in Final Fantasy One. Again, if we break it down, not many voices. Do 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 do. You know, it's like three sounds ever playing at one time. But these composers were really smart, and they found ways to arpeggiate the chords. So instead of playing a bunch of notes all at one time, you would go da-da-da-da-da instead of uh, all three notes at once. That is sort of a cheat code, essentially. Get it? Uh, to, to making your music still feel complex even though you are, are limited so let's jump ahead to final fantasy 7 this is a game that came out in the 90s i think it was i think it was the year 1997 uh it was on the playstation which is another step further in technology from that uh, super nintendo donkey kong music you heard so we're getting even more realistic sounds but still totally synthesized no real instruments recorded um but the effect was quite nice and quite symphonic and, and dynamic Pretty cinematic as you're, as you're fighting the bad guys or whatever. This game, Final Fantasy VII, was actually just remade from the ground up for the PlayStation 5. Uh, and so, you know, take today's technology from the year 2020 and, and 2021 and, and forward. And here's that same theme, how it sounds with today's tool set.
I mean, it speaks for itself. Right now, we can actually record full symphony orchestras and have that music playback in the video game. So think about how freeing that must be for these composers, for, for, for guys like Uematsu, who started composing game uh, in 1987, this Final Fantasy theme, with three little notes ever at one time. Now he's able to fully uh, unleash his talents on, on a symphony orchestra. That must feel really great, I, I, I would think. So, great music there. Now, today, so obviously... You had to be very resourceful and creative um, to save that precious hard drive space back in the day. Today, uh, there are essentially no technical limitations for what video game soundtracks can be. So you get music that is just as diverse as you would find in movies or television. Um, just a few uh, examples there I would point to are uh, like the music from the game The Last of Us, which came out in 2014. By Gustavo Santoalala. And it's this beautiful, guitar-heavy music sad and haunting. Or Persona 5, uh, which is this very, very, very stylized uh, role-playing game. This game came out, I think, five years ago. Shoji Meguro composed this stuff, and it's all just like funk. Okay, one more example I'll give you is the music from Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Sarah Schachner composed this stuff, and it, it just sounds like a Hans Zimmer score, you know what I mean? Uh, it just sounds like you're at a big-budget action film, because that's essentially what the game is. It's a big-budget action game. So composers are, are, are fully free to do basically whatever they want today. But resourcefulness, I think, is, is kind of at the, at the heart of video game music. At least it was uh, when it started being composed. The next shared trait of video game music I want to discuss is the ability to be repeated indefinitely. The ability to loop without end video games are unique right it's not a movie it's not a tv show you the the person holding the controller are in control that means if you're not very good at the game for instance you might be stuck in one spot for a long time or, or on the same level forever and ever or maybe you're just taking your time whatever you know you get to decide the pace at which you complete these games Therefore, the music that plays as you are going through the game has to have natural loop points, which separates video game music from essentially any other musical style up to this point. If you're a classical composer, if you're Bach or whoever, or if you're a pop music composer, um, 
you know, you ha- you have a the start of your song and all the stuff in the middle, and then it ends. That is just how it works. Your music um, still has to do that. You have to have the ability to start and finish it for a video game, but you have to have something in the middle that can go on and on and on forever. That is a trick, right? That's tricky. And I'm talking specifically as a listener. Um, it has to be well composed enough that I don't mind hearing it repeatedly uh, for hours at a time, maybe. But it also has to be somewhat boring, I guess, so that it it, it uh, blends into the background and isn't top of mind the whole time. Because if it is top of mind, you know, without fail, I am going to lose interest in the music that I'm hearing. So I should also note that this was in part tied to that resourcefulness factor, especially in the early days, because um, you could not compose 20 minutes of discrete music. Those old floppy disks or whatever simply wouldn't have the space to to play that much sound. And so your music had to be pretty repetitive uh, for it to actually get any uh, playtime. So... Let's finally play the iconic video game song to end all video game songs. I'm talking, of course, about uh, the level one theme of Super Mario Brothers. Oh, yeah. It's everybody's favorite mustachioed uh, plumber. And you are steering him around uh, as he's smashing bricks with his his bare head. Well, I guess he's wearing a hat. Smashing bricks with his hat and his fist and collecting coins and stomping on small beasts with his feet. Uh, he's a killer. And as you go on this rampage, this greedy, coin-lusty, Goomba, murderous rampage, the music rocks. It's Koji Kondo, who is a certified freak in video game music. He has composed pretty much all of the Mario music. He is also the lead composer for pretty much every Legend of Zelda game. So, I mean, we got a monster on our hands here, gang. Uh, And as you are hearing, it's a theme that is repeating. We're hearing themes over and over. And once we get to a certain point, it goes just right back to the beginning. And it can do that ad infinitum. Because what if you just wanted to sit there and and admire the Goombas and, you know, be a pacifist instead of a a murderous plumber? You can listen to the music either way. There are nearly limitless examples of great video game music that loops, but um, we do try to keep these episodes to a tight 47-minute to 49-minute range. And so I simply cannot uh, go through every good example. What I will do is tell you that, again, uh, some games buck the trend. As time has gone on, 
video game developers have considered maybe we don't need catchy tunes during every second of gameplay. So you have like your open world exploration adventure games like Skyrim, for instance, and you'll be wandering around and hearing the birds chirp and and whatever, uh, seeing the dragons fly around in the sky, and maybe there won't be any music, and then uh, you'll you'll go over a hill and this amazing theme will play. Also, I, I feel sort of like I'm being unfaithful to a, to a spouse in a way by talking about Skyrim without my buddy Matt. Yeah, this feels wrong. Sorry, buddy. But again, I, I value your autonomy and I hope you're having a nice time doing whatever you're doing. So this song has a clear beginning and an ending. And once the song ends, you're just back to the ambiance of uh, you know, gushing waters and, and screeching dragons and uh, rustling leaves and whatnot. So video game music does not need to loop continuously in every context. Another interesting outlier here are the Dark Souls games. Any true gamers out there, real game heads know what I'm talking about. The very difficult kind of fantasy themed games where you uh, are a nameless wretch uh, probably half dead or, or fully dead and you're wandering around and guys with cloaks covering their whole faces say ah... You truly are wretched, aren't you? And they hand you, like, a sack of fingers or toes or something, and you have to figure out what to do with it. And then, uh, so as all that's happening, there's simply no music. These games are amazing because you wander around fighting your way through a bunch of bad guys to the to no music, just the sound of swords clanging together and, uh, you know, howls of, of undead beasts... Uh, finding their final rest at your blade. But then, every time you get to a boss battle, these bombastic songs start playing. Just unbelievably enormous symphonic pieces that are just dreadful and incredible. And by withholding music for much of the exploration stage of the game, when you finally get to a boss, you can feel your heart zip out of your chest because suddenly uh, it's like the stakes are raised because now you have music. But once again, it may take you 15 minutes to beat that boss. So Dark Souls boss themes also need to have natural loop points so the song can play until you finally beat the boss. Uh, it's not going to just have a set runtime. It will play for as long as it needs to, as long as you are in that battle sequence. Uh, Motoi Sakuraba is the composer of the Dark Souls video game music. He gets it, and he does a great job with those boss battle themes. So that's the second common trait of video game music I want to discuss. The last one... 
uh, is maybe the most interesting to me and, and perhaps to you as well. It is the dynamic nature of video game music. That is music that changes based on your gameplay. As we said a moment ago, games are not movies. You are in control of what happens in this narrative or, or this arcade setting. And very early on, video game developers capitalized on this. So we're going to go back to 1978 here. We're taking you to a cool 70s arcade room. And we're going up to that big, huge box with a joystick on it and wants to eat your quarters. And on the front of it, it says Space Invaders. I mean, these sounds are awful, right? 1978, we did not have a lot of uh, technical capability. So you get these awful screechy sounds. What you're hearing for the most part are sound effects of your little spaceship firing laser beams at these aliens. But I want you to listen specifically to the low notes there. It's this sequence of four notes. And if you've been listening closely, that music is getting faster. And faster and faster and faster because the aliens are crawling down the screen towards your spaceship, you're getting closer and closer to losing this game and having to put in another quarter. And the closer you get to defeat, the faster these notes go. That is dynamic music. And I mean, we it's, it's crude music, but this quality of it is anything but crude, actually. In fact, it was heavily researched. The game developers for Space Invaders actually did some field testing where they would measure players' heart rate while they're playing the game with no music, with no slowly speeding up bass. And then they would put that music in and measure the heart rate again. And sure as shooting, gang, people's heart rates would elevate when that music is playing and when the music gets faster it applies stress to the player and it ups the tension and it makes you uh, you know start to sweat a little bit so it was this measurable difference in the gameplay experience that the developers of Space Invaders noticed and so they put it in their game and it was groundbreaking stuff it was it's the first example of this dynamic style of music and as the decades would go by um, composers and developers would get even more creative uh, with this process so let's jump ahead to the 1990s here to the Nintendo 64 to uh, another Koji Kondo joint The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time so you uh, you are Link You are a a little guy with a sword, and you're wearing a green tunic. And you are going to save the princess. Classic stuff. Classic! And so you run out into this open field. It's a 3D game. It's very cool. 
One of the first 3D games you've ever played. Oh, and the music. Amazing. It's heroic. You know, it's the Nintendo 64. We're the mid-90s here, so the synthesizers could get pretty complicated. So you get the sound of horns uh, and strings, all kind of synthesized, uh, basically, in your Nintendo machine. Ah, but here comes some sort of bad guy. And that overworld music fades, and instead we get battle music. And you gotta swing your sword and uh, take care of these angry lizards or whatever. And once you do that, we're back to the pleasant music. So that's an example of dynamic music, and, and specifically this is called horizontal composition of dynamic music. What does that mean? So that means that you're fading between tracks. Uh, basically, in a, in a straight horizontal line, you can picture it. You're on one track, and then we fade to the battle music, and we fade back to, uh, to the original theme. So that's one way to do it. Another really interesting way uh, comes, once again, from Koji Kondo. This is Super Mario World for the Super Nintendo, came out, I think, in 93. And uh, this is called the Athletic Theme, just one of the various Mario-level tunes that would play. Kind of a ragtime thing, pretty cool. Super Mario World introduced Yoshi. Uh, so, again, any of you true gamers out there know that Yoshi is your cool dinosaur horse monstrosity. And Mario would uh, hop on his back, because he's wearing a little saddle. And as soon as you do that... What happens, dear listener? The music changes. You get some new drums. This comes in just as soon as you hop onto Yoshi's back. And if you get hit by a bad guy and Yoshi runs off and you're no longer riding your friend Yoshi, we're back to the theme without drums. And it happens seamlessly. It's a seamless change in the music. So we call this vertical composition. That is, you can imagine that drum track just being muted, right? And when Yoshi appears, the game knows to unmute that track and add the drums in. So it's sort of a, a vertical, it's, it's another layer of the same piece of music being stacked vertically on top, right? And then once Yoshi goes away, uh, that track goes away. So that's an example of vertical music composition in video games. And I think that's cooler, personally, than just fading between two totally separate tracks. I think it's more impressive um, to uh, feel the music change with you. Really, the king of this stuff is Koji Kondo. I think you have to look at Mario music as real groundbreaking stuff that set trends in the music, in the video game music industry that are still being followed to this day. So for instance, you're running around in uh, Mario World and you 
get a star. You, you slam one of those bricks and a star pops out and Mario grabs it and now he's invincible. And suddenly, whatever music was playing goes away and this plays instead. And so it's a, it's a signal to the player that as soon as you hear that music, you are invincible. You can run straight through the bad guys and they will just drop dead. Let's say you're playing that first Mario level again and you have been taking your sweet time. Well, there's a timer up in the corner and as soon as you have about a minute left, this happens. And the same music plays just a lot faster. Once again, to, to sort of raise your heart rate, to elevate the tension and make you uh, move a little faster towards the conclusion of the level. So, pretty great stuff. I, I think you have to hand it to Koji Kondo uh, for figuring out the value of dynamic music. I think it, uh, when deployed properly, is amazing. And it's what sets the video game experience apart, in my opinion. Now, I don't know how many gamers we have out there in the Ear Buddies army. I won't presume to, to know. Uh, but if you are someone listening to this, and let's say you're skeptical uh, of the idea of video games as, quote-unquote, an art form, or you think games are just, you know, for kids or whatever, I, I understand that position. I would just say that there, and I hope that we've um, displayed it here, uh, there is nuance and technical work being done just on a sound level in video games that is so fascinating and complicated and it can be very effective and affecting um, and so I think that uh, I think video games are pretty cool even to this day as a as a grown man uh, I see the artistic value in it, and obviously the entertainment value. And so much of that value, in my opinion, comes from great video game music. So to wrap this episode up, I want to play something that kind of brings all these ideas together. The idea of dynamic music, the ability to loop endlessly, and uh, the need to be resourceful in composition. And so I'm going to play the music from a game called Near Automata. Now this is a weird video game. I don't know if I recommend playing it. It came out uh, about five years ago on like PlayStation 4 and uh, Xbox One and probably PC computers. You are a robot lady. You're like a sexy robot lady and you wear a blindfold all the time and that's kind of strange. And you're fighting other robots that are angry with you. You seem to be a little more self-aware than the other robots. And there's it's a very convoluted plot. I will not bore you uh, by getting into it. Uh, but one of your companions in the game is uh, a, a guy. And he also wears a blindfold. But his deal is he is a hacker. Uh, he's also a robot. But he can hack in to other robots and so as you are going through the world uh, playing as the sexy robot lady and her dude friend you will hear 
All sorts of music, battle music or, or more chill music like you're hearing right now. But as soon as I start to hack an enemy robot, this happens. The symphonic music transforms seamlessly into chiptunes from the, from the old days. And it does that only when you are sort of inside the guts of a robot hacking it. And then as soon as you're back out in the real world, the symphonic, more orchestral music fades back in. This is all seamless, so it's an example of vertical dynamic composition. It is an homage to the resourcefulness of the days gone by of music composition. So it's taking this theme that, that was composed and uh, shrinking it down to the tiny little uh, four voice part that was required uh, or that would have been required in the 80s or the 90s and then fades right back into modern day video game music. It's really cool. It happens all throughout the game whenever you're playing as this hacker guy and uh, the results are amazing. It's kind of a surprise because you don't actually play as him for like 10 hours in the game and then suddenly um, you take over. And for the whole game it's been symphonic music and big bombastic battle themes and all this, right? And then as soon as you take over as him and you hack someone for the first time, you hear this old school Nintendo music fade in seamlessly uh, in the track that you're listening to. And it's such a neat surprise and it continues to happen throughout the game. So um, that's near Automata. The guy who composed this music is, is named Kaichi Okabe. Um, and so, you know, major props to him for paying tribute to old school video game music and, and doing something different that I've never heard anyone else do, really. So, um, look, gang, that's all I really have to say today. Uh, just, just to say that video game music is great. The new stuff is really thrilling. It's like listening to film scores, but there's something more personal, I think, about actually experiencing it as a player um, than just pulling it up on iTunes or whatever. So, listen, uh, why don't you go get yourself a Nintendo? Have a little fun. Give yourself a break. Get a Nintendo and uh, play Mario or Zelda or whatever and uh, enjoy the music that accompanies you as you do. That brings us to the end of Ear Buddies this week. I, I suspect that Matt and I will be together. We haven't had a falling out or anything. I, we're still friends, so at some point we are going to pod together again. But in the meantime, game on, gamers. Game over. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>